Father, tonight we're gathering here around the foot of the cross, and we are just so grateful and appreciative for your sacrifice. We thank you for your great love for us and the lengths that you went to to demonstrate that. And tonight we're going to worship you. And we just thank you for your presence with us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Man, it's great to have you out tonight. Um, I've always wanted to do Good Friday. I've got to be careful not to call it Black Friday. It's Good Friday. Uh, I've been in a series working our way through Mark's gospel. And we've been following in the footsteps of Jesus as he journeyed from the Judean wilderness all the way to Jerusalem. He gathered his 12. His ministry was booming. And he was on a mission to seek and save those who were lost. He'd confronted a corrupt religious system. And because of that, now we've come to the time of his betrayal. I want to read from Mark chapter 14, and I want to read verses 1 and 2. It tells us that after two days, it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. The Pharisees had been making plans for his demise since the early stages of his ministry. And now their plot was about to be realized. And it reminds me about what the psalmist wrote in Psalms 2, when he said, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves to take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. But he who sits in the heaven, the scripture says, shall laugh and the Lord shall hold them in derision. Jesus knew that his hour had come and that the time of his departure was at hand. He knew that he was about to suffer in agony at the hands of the Pharisees, but he also knew that his pain was to become our gain. His pain, our gain. So without hesitation, he led his disciples into the garden for prayer. You know, when I read about Jesus and his passion and his suffering, which is the reason why we're all gathered here tonight, I see that he endured three levels of affliction. He suffered emotionally, he suffered mentally, and he suffered physically. Sometimes the worst kind of pain is an emotional pain. It's the kind of pain that causes us sometimes to push everyone away, except that in Jesus' case, everyone ran from him. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, <coughs> I want to read Mark 14 and verse 50. It says that they all forsook him and fled. Think of that, that word, all of them, every last one of them. Even Peter, the man who said that he'd be willing to die with Jesus. And James and John, two very boisterous brothers who said they would drink of the cup of suffering with him. <coughs> and then Mark's gospel includes... Uh, a curious little detail, which provides some clues about the disciples' state of mind when the Roman soldiers seized Jesus. I want to read Mark 14, verse 51. <coughs> 52, excuse me. It says that there was a certain young man that followed him, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body. And the young men, who were the soldiers, laid hold of him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. You know, this really describes a traumatic moment as fear gripped his followers and they fled. 
Jesus was abandoned. He was left alone with the soldiers, abandoned by his brothers, <coughs> sold for the price of a slave, much like in the story that you built, <laughs> water. Uh, I have little kids. You know what happens when you get little kids. Mm. Oh, thank you. Jesus was abandoned, and uh, he was left alone with the soldiers. So uh, it, that's what happened to Joseph. Remember, he was left alone and abandoned, sold as a slave. Now, I hate the feeling of loneliness. It's a particular pet peeve of mine. Uh, maybe it's my personality, or maybe it's because my mother would routinely be late picking us up from school as kids. Man, I, I hated that feeling of being left there and abandoned. Uh, but you know what happened to me? One time, I got caught in a phone conversation, and I was late picking up my boy from school, uh, the school right across the street. <laughs> so when I did arrive a few minutes late, I found a kindergartner who was about to tear up, wondering where I had been. <laughs> now, that hadn't happened again, fortunately, because now they just walk across the street over here. But abandonment is one of those painful emotions that many people in the increasingly isolated and social media-driven society deal with. <laughs> but his pain became our gain. The same Jesus who was abandoned is the same Jesus who said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Because when I feel lonely, isolated, discouraged, even in despair, I have Jesus. He's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And his presence is a very real help in time of need. His presence brings me a reassuring sense of peace when I need it the most. Amen? Now, not only was Jesus abandoned by his closest friends, he soon found himself in a kangaroo court facing allegations for crimes he did not commit. And this is how Mark records the event. Mark 14 and verse 55. <laughs> it says that the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. And then some rose up and bore false witness against him. Jesus was accused. He was abandoned, and now he's accused. You know, I'll never forget going to Jerusalem and just outside the old city, we went to a place called Caiaphas' house. Maybe you've been to Caiaphas' house. Our tour guide, who was Jewish, made it clear that this was in fact a charade, a, a legit kangaroo court that had violated their own laws because they met late at night during a Passover holiday with witnesses whose testimonies could not be verified. It was well outside the, the bounds of an Orthodox trial. You know, I had a cousin who used to accuse me of the most heinous crimes. Uh, she laughs about it now, but when I was like 10 and she was like six, I might be hanging out in a treehouse and my cousin would fall in the yard over the sprinkler system and come crying to her mom that I tripped her. I mean, over and over again. And, and finally, her mom began to be suspicious and watched one day as she fell on her own and came crying to her, blaming me for it. Yeah, see, the truth caught up with her. And I'm telling you that the truth is with Jesus. And once again, his pain will become our gain. You know, it's, it's a beautiful thing about Jesus, that Jesus is the truth. The Bible says that he's incapable of lying. So the next time you're faced with accusation and condemnation that runs through your mind, remember that the truth will set you free. Remember that Jesus is faithful and true. 
Remember that truth abides within you and teaches you all things and will testify of Jesus. As you know, Jesus' suffering would only intensify. He was abandoned by his disciples, falsely accused by the religious leaders of his society, and now he's going to face the brutality of the mob. Because the next day, after more legal procedures and accusations, Mark records a final level of trauma. I'm reading Mark 15 and verse 16. It says that the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison, and they clothed him with purple, and they twisted a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head, and they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him on the head with a reed, and they spat on him, and bowing the knee, they worshiped him. And when they mocked him, they took the purple off of him and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. Jesus was abused, abandoned, accused, and abused. Openly ridiculed, mocked, whipped, beaten by a garrison of men. He was given a crown of thorns, struck and spat upon. And the scripture says he was crucified. While the New Testament doesn't go into great deal about the crucifixion, it was an agonizing, painful, and awful death, as you know. You know, I met a man in Israel whose name was Stephen Curry. Stephen uh, pastored the largest Arab Christian church in Bethlehem. And Stephen shared the story of his uncle, a man named George Curry. Now, George was a bear of a man, six foot something, 300 pounds, and he said he was mean. He had a reputation for not helping people and just kind of chasing people off and being in bad moods. And one day, George went with Stephen's dad to a Christian conference at the Sea of Galilee and got saved, like really saved. The Lord touched his heart, and from that day, he was a different person. George was one of three families who was living on the Mount of Olives at the time. Very few people live in that area, but he'd been in the... He'd, he'd, inherited a home. He lived there. And the Mount of Olives is the hill that Jesus walked down as he made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. I've been there. I've seen it. But at night, it can become a very dangerous place. That that part of Jerusalem in the old city has become full of crime. And one night, George heard knocking outside the door of his house. He opened the door to find his elderly neighbor sweating, out of breath, terrified, And he said he was being robbed and beaten by some men. The old George would not have let the man in. But Uncle George said, come into my home. If you know anything about the Arab culture, they're very gregarious. And when they invite you into a home, it means they're willing to stand with you. And when George invited his elderly neighbor into the home, no sooner had he done that than he was accosted and beaten by the robbers. They stabbed him, they left him for dead, and he would die there in the courtyard of his house. He left behind a wife and five kids. He died protecting his neighbor. Now, likewise, Jesus was beaten and killed. But once again, his pain became our gain. A crown of thorns, a beard that was plucked out, a face that was struck with rods, a back that was bloodied by a whip, and a Bible that says, by his stripes, we are healed. The blood that ran down his face and his broken body is the same blood that's in the cup that we are about to drink from. And through the blood that was shed, 
We have oneness with God for the redemption of our souls. It is the blood, the Bible says, that makes atonement for the soul. Let me tell you that Jesus can relate with your pain. Maybe you have been abandoned by parents who neglected you, by friends who left you for someone who they thought was better than you. Maybe you have been accused by people with wrong motives who lied about you. Maybe you have been abused by an ex-husband or a relative or perhaps someone in a position of authority. Jesus knows exactly how that feels, and he can heal your pain. The cross is this place of exchange where a beautiful and divine transaction took place. In exchange for abandonment, we gained a friend who will never walk out on you. It's like the song says, what a friend I have in Jesus. He's the friend who sticks closer than a brother. He's the friend who's always with me. In exchange for the accusations hurled at him, we've gained the truth. The Bible says you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And in exchange for the abuse which he suffered, we have been healed and brought near through the blood of Christ. And tonight, we're doing this an act of remembrance towards Jesus. And I want to invite you to partake tonight of the Lord's table with us. And we're going to have the musicians come back. We're going to have a, another song here. And I'd just like you to make your way to the front of the sanctuary. We've got bread and wine prepared for you. And if we could get people walk down this aisle and grab it and walk back the other aisle, that way we don't get too confused. Uh, as, as we walk down here and take this bread and take the cup, if you would return to your seat with that, we're going to take this meal in a moment while we worship God and reflect upon his sacrifice. And I don't know about you, I'm just so grateful for what the Lord has done. I am so grateful for his goodness and his mercy. I'm so grateful for the blood that was shed. And it's, a, it's a something he did for you and for me personally.